0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fan List Podcast. We have a new world number two in the ATP tennis rankings. A big, big story coming out of last week. But as ever, firstly, we'll introduce my co-host, I am Mike, and I'll introduce Marcus.
1: Hello. Yeah, it did come as a bit of a surprise that Daniil Medvedev rising to number two. Obviously, the 250 circuit can pay dividends, not a... Not, uh, You know, not advisable to keep ignoring it if the strategy that Andre Rublev has clearly been deploying that maybe we can see him keep uh, creeping up that top 10 rankings as well. But no, good to be here and uh, got plenty of tournaments to talk about and a lot of excitement headed into this week.
0: Okay, we'll start uh, in Doha, Qatar, um, and we'll get on to Daniel Medvedev becoming world number two uh, a little bit later on. But um, arguably, the the biggest tournament in terms of uh, quality and and stature came from uh, Doha. Um, A very unlikely winner in Niklas Basilashvili uh, taking his fourth ATP Tour title after he beat Roberto Bautista at 7 6 6 2 in the final. Uh, it's a result that I think really took both markets and I by surprise. Uh, RBA, Bautista as we, uh, RBA as we call him, um, coming off the back of wins against Dominic team a, a very, very comfortable straight sets win over the very in-form uh, Andre Rublev, whereas Basil really had sort of limped a little bit to the final. He actually lost his very first set of the tournament to a very out-of-form John Millman. Obviously, he had that big win over Roger Federer, although, albeit not a fully fit, Roger Federer. So I was just very surprised to, to see Basilash really winning this in, in the way that he did. He's never actually lost a final on the ATB tour. This is four out of four wins uh, in finals. And he did say after the match, uh, he feels that he plays better in the big, in big matches rather than um, smaller matches, uh, which really probably could be backed up this week quite easily. But um,
1: yeah, one one of just surprised Marcus on, on this uh, in terms of your take. Well, it definitely doesn't surprise me that he says that he's a big game player considering the amount of first round losses we've seen in the, the sort of run that led up to this really incredible win that I don't think anyone saw coming. And I didn't expect him to beat Fritz in the semi-final. He came through that one and then obviously possibly a match too far for Baltistro but we can't really take anything away from Basil Ashfili. Um, you know, it's an outstanding win and the 32-year-old Spaniard had spent a lot more time. On court I think um, obviously with that crawling match against Dominic team possibly being the standout. Important to mention as well I think that Baltista has, has gone up to 11 in the rankings which is a small leap I think he was 13 last week but still you know knocking on the door of that top 10 at the age of 32 is a pretty impressive feat and uh, hopefully he's a player who can carry on that form. Um, as the year progresses as for Bazalashville that, that's the real question now are we going to see him break into the top 20 as he as he did? Um, you know you know that's been the best form of his career sort of two years ago now I think he had a really really solid 2019 team as when he sort of had his, his best successes of his career. 29 now, um, so still got plenty of time and he's gone up to 36 in the rankings and really, if you take out winning the title, I, I'd argue that stopping the rot and the, the disastrous form that he was on is possibly even more important than winning this title as a whole because the downward trajectory, looked really really severe and you know he, he was a player that I was thinking we might not even see in the top 100 at the end of this year so that he's been able to rectify that obviously the win over Federer will give him plenty of confidence you know he would have got the most sort of uh, hits on social media for that win that he's probably ever had in his career even you know winning four titles so really impressive from Basil Ashvili we spoke in the last episode that um, uh, you know he's showing the the best form he's shown since having some off-court issues so no it's really impressive um I was disappointed you know I I, I did think that Baltista Goodwood would have too much for him but no it's really impressive and uh you know he's shown that he can do it do it on the hard courts as well he's had success on the clay and as we move towards um just just a high concentration of those events on the ATP main tour I think you know we we could be heading into a a couple of good months for Basilashvili in the lead-up, of course, to the French Open.
0: Yeah, that's uh, two titles on clay and two on hot now, which actually a lot of players ranked around Bazalashvili with four or so titles. I don't think many could boast that. Uh, normally when you have players ranked around there with sort of three or four titles, they all do tend to be from the same surface. We'll go on to talk about Christian Garin later on. it's uh, just won his fifth ATP title, all of them coming on the clay court, however. Um, but, yeah, to win two on clay and two on hard, really impressive for Basil Ashvili. Um, Yeah, just a, a stat here, actually. Uh, you talk about that horrible run that Basil Ashwini went on between the 27th of July and the 9th of November, that's uh, 2020, uh, he went on an 11-match losing streak. Um, and, and that's pretty woeful in tennis. You know, you, even players who are out of form tend to pick up the odds win once every five or six matches maybe. Um, Eleven matches in a row he lost. Um, just three names here that I picked out from those eleven losses, not to discredit any of these names, but uh, Huesler of Switzerland, Gombos, to and Misha Zverev, Alexander's older brother, albeit I think that one was in a, an ex- exhibition match. But um, yeah, 11-match 11, 11 losing streak, only two of those losses were from exhibition matches as well. So their nine nine tour matches that uh, Basilash really lost is really woeful. So to come back and win a tournament just a few months on from that streak really uh, is, is really, really impressive for him.
1: Um, and as you say,
0: but also... A, Really impressive week for Batista got some fantastic wins we saw him get. He's just two places off of his career high now. Uh, he's knocked Denis Shapovalov and David Goffin down a place in the rankings, so really showing uh, that despite being the age of, I think, 32, you said, uh, really um, still got it and, and still up there and still going to compete with those, those guys who are up there. I mean, there's, there's a lot of younger guys now ranked around around his position, but I think it's going to take a, a, a lot of effort and a lot of hard work to knock someone like Baptiste out of those those real competing spaces in the rankings. Um, I think that's pretty much all I've got to say on Doha. Marcus, was there anything you wanted to add? No, Marcus uh, is is giving me a good thumbs up. Uh, so we'll go on to Marseille. Um, Daniel Medvedev winning the title here, uh, being... Pierre, who's her bear, but the, the main story really being that uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel Medvedev has become the world number two. Um, I know Marcus said sort of in, in the intro, it's sort of coming as a surprise. And um, what I have actually just read is that it was actually already confirmed to happen uh, in, in these weeks because uh, Rafa choosing not to play tournaments. And, and he's obviously lost uh, a certain number of points that he picked up from, from a year or two in, in before. As uh, so I believe that even if Medvedev had actually lost in the first round of this tournament, uh, he would still be second in the world now, uh, is what I read uh, just before the podcast. But um, this is an amazing stat. Daniel Medvedev becoming the first player not named Djokovic, Nadal, Federer or Murray to occupy a top two place since 2005, uh, 16 years. And, and Marcus, if you, if you haven't seen this on your research, do you want to have a hazard a guess at the last player to hold a top two place in the rankings that wasn't named Murray, Nadal, Djokovic or Federer in
1: 2005? Uh, it's got to be Hewitt or Roddick. That's my guess. Um, so I'll go for Leighton Hewitt. Yeah,
0: you're correct. Leighton Hewitt there uh, being being the last player. That's just amazing. 16 years. I was surprised actually reading this. I I thought Radwanska had got up to two at one point, but obviously not. Um, an amazing statistic, really, just showing the dominance of of with no discredit to Murray, but mainly those those three players. And then obviously, of course, Murray uh, was was able to occupy both spaces in the top two for for a, a good while as well. Um, but yeah, just quickly looking at the rankings now, Medvedev only narrowly above Nadal. Um, Dominic Team actually at number four isn't that far from Nadal either now. So, you know, Team can gain some points over the clay court period um, if Nadal doesn't win the French Open. That's a big if. Um, Dominic Team really having a good chance uh, to, to go up well number three and uh, and maybe even a well world number two if if he does really well. The advantage, advantage Medvedev has is. Bear in mind, he doesn't really pick up many wins on clay. He's never won a French Open match. Uh, he's now even got many more points that he can pick up over the next few months and, and maybe try and close the, ja- the gap with uh, Novak Djokovic. But, um, yeah, yeah, just um, to look at this match, he beat Haber, a very close match, actually, 6-4, 6-7, 6-4. Um, I believe Haber battled back from 4-2 down in that second set tie-break to win it 7-4, so winning five points in a row, that would have been a, a tough one for Medvedev to take. Um, but a, a great victory for, for Daniel Medvedev um, against a very informal bear, probably one of the players of the week for me, uh, beating Nishikori, Sitsubas, Mbair, to get to the final, the, the, the real surprise player of Marseille. Um, Marcus, what, what's your words on um, Medvedev? Obviously, being well number two and, and that amazing statistic and, and also the, the weeks of, of him and Haber.
1: Yeah, just to start with Haber, I think he definitely stands out alongside Basil of the two dark horses, surprise packages, um, you know, the biggest performances that we didn't expect. I know you had Haber to get to the quarterfinal, which was quite an impressive call. Um, you know, he's gone up to 73 in the rankings. I think he was in the 90s last week. And we have seen him, I think, get in between 30 and 40 in the rankings. So it'll be interesting to see how much he prioritises his singles game in the next few months, because he's definitely got the ability to be a solid top 50 player. Um, so, you know, I, I do like watching a bear play. It's a very unique style compared to most players um, on the tour at the moment. So I, I hope he comes out of this playing local events. You know, you don't see him out of Europe that often, Um and because he's got a lot to add, entertainment-wise, and you know, with with fans coming back all, all over the world, gradually uh, he could be a player that, you know, he'll, he'll uh, impress a lot of crowds this season. Should he should his singles game take more priority than it has been in previous years? But on to Medvedev, of course, and it's really good to see him get the number two ranking. Um, you know, of, of course, you, you mentioned with it, it being with Nadal. Um, managing his body and and pulling out of certain events in, in the schedule, so it's not too much of a surprise. But it's definitely a psychologically it might might help Medvedev a little bit, just getting in and amongst the big two rather than sitting below them. Um, could could maybe help you I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it doesn't really give you too much edge. A lot of players differ in how much they really care about the rankings once they're in that sort of top ten, top five. It's mainly about the titles, but. You know he's he's only 25, so to still be pushing on to career highs are, and uh, number two, and maybe even number one one day, you never know. But um, no, he's looking very good, and yeah, this is just another sign that his career is going in the right direction. And uh, winning, of course, the 10th title of his career in Marseille. I mean, it wasn't he didn't have any too tricky obstacles, I think, to to make his way to towards this title. But you know, he's definitely getting himself in better shape with. Um, of course, we've got the Miami Masters around the corner, which will be a, a decently sized event that you think if Medvedev can go deep in, it will be interesting to see him, uh, you know, put some pressure on on the better players.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the, the real thing that stands out for me in this win, uh, is this tournament win, though, as you say, there's not too many players you... Well, there's no players he played you'd expect him to lose to, but... Um, that, uh, I'm trying to remember where it was. Rotterdam, I think, uh, the, the week before, losing to Duzan in the first round. Uh, that being off the back of obviously that disappointing Australian Open final. And I remember, I don't think, I'm not sure if it was on, on air, but I said this to you or off air, but, um, you know, I was suddenly thinking, you know, is it time to suddenly start getting worried about Medvedev? You know, he's had that really tough final against Djokovic. He's now gone and lost to a player ranked way below him uh, in, in the first round of Rotterdam. And, and, and I didn't want to jump the, the gun a bit too much. I mean, that was the um, exact phrase I used, actually. But um, I think this is really reassuring. Uh, to see from Evadev, because sometimes I think we've seen with players like Tim and Zverev, they have perhaps tended to go on sort of a little bit worse runs after bad losses. But, um, you know, one loss to Luzan Lajevic is, is nothing to be ashamed of. And, and to be able to come here this week and, and play, you know, you beat, beat Yannick Sinner um, on his way, who's a very impressive player a lot of people are excited about. And, and to beat Herbert in the final, you know, albeit only just, it was very narrow. Haber um, was playing fantastically so uh, yeah I'm really really pleased to see Daniel Mebedev lifting this title uh, and as you say I'll be excited to see how he gets on at Miami uh, in a couple of weeks or next week I believe that starts but I mean, possibly midway through next week uh, so yeah uh, we just move on to the first tournament third and last tournament played last week on the clay courts uh, of Chile's capital Santiago uh, Chile's number one player Christian Harin. Uh, winning 6-4, 6-7, 7-5 against uh, Argentine Federico Bagnes. Uh, Horan, only 24 years old. Uh, That always surprises me when I see that. I think he's a little bit older than that. But, um, you know, still a very young player, very comfortable in the clay court. You know, as I mentioned earlier on, he's got his fifth title now on on clay courts. Uh, It's his fifth overall title as well. Uh, He's moved up two places to the world number 18, um, so, and I, I can't remember what his career high is, but I think it's around that area anyway. Um, so, you know, very impressive from, from Christian Horan. Um Yeah, Marcus, what, what would you make of this win?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, just two below his career high now in, in 20 is Garen. And at 24 with five titles is, you know, a very impressive feat. Uh, I have to say, I, I still think he's struggling a little bit for form. You know, the way he had to battle past Kundo Bagnus was. Not concerning, but not encouraging, um, to say the least. And I said in the on our Twitter at Tennis Fanalist that uh, he didn't beat a player inside the world's top one hundred and seventeen on his run to this title. Which I don't know if that's some kind of record, but I don't remember seeing anything that uh, sort of. Figure-wise, straightforward. Um, so I'm, I'm not taking too much into it. Obviously, like you say, it's reassuring to see Medvedev to win the title in Marseille. It is, um, of course, for him to win in front of his home crowd um, in in Santiago. But you know, it, it wasn't in that much convincing fashion. Hopefully, it will give him um, some some confidence going into a pretty mega clay court season. But I'd also like to see in play some more hard court tournaments in the, in the near future. He struggled in the opening week of the the season in, in Delray Beach. Um, so, yeah, he definitely needs to prove that if he's going to be a consistent player. Are we going to see a player like him fluctuate around the top 20 to 30 for his whole career by just winning these little titles in in South America? I, I don't want to see that. So I want to see more from Garin at 24, particularly trying to, trying to prove his worth on the hard court circuit. Um, you know, decent week for Bagnis outside the top 100, get to a final, got to get some kudos there. But Holgerun, the 17-year-old, is probably the, my main takeaway from that tournament, getting to the the quarterfinal and beating Benoit Paire in the process. But, um, you know, it, it wasn't uh, too much of a tantalising week down, down in Santiago. But impressive, you know, five titles at 24, can't argue with that for Christian Garin.
0: Yeah, and if you say, a little kudos to, to Federico Bagnes. He's been around on the tour a long time, uh, 31 years of age now, and actually making his first ATP Tour final uh, yesterday. Uh, well, not making it yesterday, but uh, playing in it yesterday. So, um, you know, a, a great week for him and, and perhaps, you know, a, a, bit, a bit of confidence for him to find a bit of form in, in the latter stages of his career. Uh, So that's pretty much the three tournaments uh, that we were going to talk about rounded up. Uh, We're going to go on to talk about this week's tournaments. Now we have only two tournaments this week. Uh, Always like it after a week when we've had three, just to go back down to two, uh, give it a, a little bit of rest. Um, the tournaments this week coming from Dubai, uh, over on the hard courts of Dubai and also the hard courts of Acapulco uh, in Mexico. Uh, possibly the latest tournament in terms of the times that it gets played out with pretty much all, I think all of the matches in Acapulco will be starting after midnight in UK time. Um, but we'll start with Dubai. Um, Dominic team heading the field at Dubai, uh, also featuring Andre Rublev as the second seed, uh, Karen Hachov playing Roberto Bautista Agut, and uh, just the third seed being Denis Shapovalov. Um, we'll go through our normal way of previewing. We'll uh, sort of talk about our quarterfinals. And we've actually got a almost the same quarterfinals we've we've established before. Um, the the uh the podcast um the top quarter final being the different one i've got dominic team to face david goffan that was after a temporary borner chorich who we both actually picked to get to the quarter he's pulled out injured uh so i've got david goffan to make that and then just going down the list uh, i've got huber Herkash to face karen hatched uh, Daniel Evans to face the young Yannick Sinner and Marton Futsiewicz to face Andre Rublev. But when I last looked, Futsiewicz was struggling in his first round match against Vasek Pospisil. So I haven't seen the uh, score of that in the last half an hour. Um, but yeah, the only difference being that Marcus has, uh, instead of uh, Goffin, he has Nishikori. So um, I'll just hand over to Marcus with any particular uh, picks in there that you want to point out.
1: Um, not in particular. I think we're both going for a few shocks and uh, I think a few big matches to take place. Obviously, at the 500 circuit, you tend to get some probably more high quality matches. You know, you don't get as many surprise picks, but I think there could really be some really exciting matches in the second, third round stage just before the quarterfinals. We've both clumps for Ube Herkash to beat Denis Shapovalov to make his way into the last day, which I think, should it come to pass, would be a really exciting match. Shapovalov had some physical issues in in uh, Doha last week, losing out to Taylor Fritz. But, you know, if he, if he can be back to full fitness, that that looks a really good match on paper. Um, obviously, we both had Jeremy Shardy to get through and uh, face Karen Hatchinov, I think. Yeah. Um, he, he, of course, has beaten Alex Diminor today, which we both predicted. Uh, the Australians suffering a bit of poor form at the start of this year, which is a bit uncharacteristic, but, um, you know, Shardy's still in, enjoying the twilight of his career and, and playing some great tennis for it. Another match that I just wanted to flag up was Dan Evans against Aslan Karatsev. Uh, I think that'll be really interesting. Um, Evans, of course, still got a higher rank than Karatsev, but and of course, won his first ATP Tour title just before the Australian Open, but then Karatsev stormed into the to the semi-final stage. So that, that could be a really interesting one. I do think it could be a good week for Dan Evans, but uh, just like you, I have him going out to Yannick Sinner in the end, who after a, a disappointing couple of weeks, I mean, he did all right in, in Marseille, but obviously lost to Aliash Bedene. I think it was the week before that. Um, I think he can, you know, after some recovery time, have have a decent week in Dubai. And then, of course, Martin Futuris, hopefully if he can get through his match against Pospisil, could uh, back up some decent form, um, although it's not looking good at the moment, uh, and meet Andre Rublev in that last day. Of course, we've both gone for Andre Rublev to extend his ridiculous record on uh, the ATP 500 circuit. I, I heard today that if he wins Dubai... He'll break Roger Federer's record for the most consecutive wins at 500 level, which uh, would be very impressive. Um, you know, I'm sure that's a very coveted list that Rublev would love to have his name uh, upon. So no, some, some really good matches and I'm looking forward to yeah watching some quality players. If that Dominic team versus Andre Rublev final does materialise, I know we both have that that really could be epic.
0: Yeah, for sure. Just a word. Um, Martin Fuzovic is currently 6-2 and 4-2 down to Vasek Pospisil, so it uh, doesn't look like he's going to have too much luck getting to that quarterfinal as things stand at the moment. And yeah, the Dan Evans-Azelan uh, Karatsev match I was going to mention, uh, one that looks really, really interesting, I think. Kratsev having a good 6-4-6-4 six, four, six, four, four win against Igor uh, Grasimov in the first round, a player who's who's actually looked good since the Australian Open, uh, when it was actually Kratsev who gave him the uh, brutal uh, beating when Grasimov only won one match, um, uh, one game, I beg your pardon. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a very interesting match between Dan Evans and Aslan Kratsev. That will either be tomorrow or the day after. Uh, and then just moving on to the second tournament uh, that we have this week in Acapulco, Mexico. A tournament uh, Nick Kyrgios won a couple of years ago. I Still remember that beating, but like, I think he beat Nadal, uh, Djokovic, and then Isner in the final or something stupid like that. He uh, he went on a very good run. He isn't playing this week. Uh, still, obviously not travelling out of the uh, out of Australia. For tennis, but we've got a uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas at the top of the field, Alexander Zverev second seed, third seed Diego Schwartzman fourth seed, Milos Reinic, uh, Britain's Cameron Norrie also featured uh, in this tournament. Uh, yeah, so um, I'll let I'll let Marcus go through his quarterfinals first.
1: Yeah, I was a little disappointed not to see Nick Kyrgios in the field, but, you know, hey-ho, we get on with it. And Acapulco has definitely been a really in- enjoyable watch in-, in the last few years. I'm not sh- well, it probably did just about, uh, actually, no, I know I don't think it did take place last year. Not 100% sure on that, but obviously that Nick Kyrgios title, bringing back, um, you know, it was a really, really memorable week on the tour. Uh, just to-, to kick off my quarterfinals at the top, I've got Stefanos, Tsitsipas to make his way there. Without a problem, um, I've got him to face Felix Orger. I've got him to come through difficult tests against Tennis Sangren and Sebastian Corda en route, which I think could both be decent matches. He's uh had some troubles against Sangren in the past. So despite Sangren not really showing anything so far this year, it kind of would be classic Tennis Sangren to come back and knock out Felix Uh, But I, th- I think the Canadian... Is in better shape than, than those two players at the moment. Corda hasn't probably hasn't quite lived up to the hype since, of course, being in very very impressive in Delray Beach. Second quarter final, I've got Diego Schwartzmann, the world number nine against Myamir Kechmanovic. And this is probably my shot pick of the week. I've got Miyamir Kechmanovic to make the semi-final in Acapulco, the 21-year-old Serbian. I've got him to beat uh, Feliciano Lopez first round, Grigor Dimitrov in the second. And then Schwarzman, of course, the Argentine number one, who I, I think if he faces uh, Francis Tiafo in the second round could be quite an interesting match. I think this is the type of tournament where we could see Tiafoe do quite well. Um, obviously, in, in his early 20s now, we need to start seeing something from Tiafoe if if he is going to maybe live up to, to the potential that we all know that he has. Um, my third quarterfinal, I've gone for Britain's Cameron Norrie, uh, tried to sort of, take any emotional attachment away from it but I think he's got a good shot of making the quarters I've got him into beat qualifier in the first round then Fabio Fonini in the second and have a match up with Milos Raonic who I have to the semi-final although I'm, I'm feeling it's a little bit risky I feel like Tommy Paul in the first round is pretty tough for Raonic. Um probably as tough as it's going to get until the semi-final stage so I feel like he goes out early or he makes the last four nothing in the middle I see really for the uh, Raonic, of course, he's got well, having have him to play, Dominic Kurtfer in the second round, he's got a wild card so a nice little ease into the tournament for the German player, uh, and then at the bottom I've got Kasper Ruder, exciting young player that we haven't seen in a few weeks Um from the Rafael Nadal Academy, probably quite quite encouraging that we haven't seen him play all those clay tournaments and sort of I don't know, shoehorn him as a, as a clay quarter, like we're sort of getting pushed in the direction for with the 24-year-old Christian Garin. rude has got two years. uh, He's two years younger than Garin and he's only five places below him in the ranking. So maybe this is a year that he can push on and really transfer his form onto a hard court. And I've got him to face the second seed, Alexander Zverev in that quarter final. I don't really rate Zverev at the moment. I don't think he's been... on on tip-top form this year, really probably should have done better against Novak Djokovic at at the Australian Open. But I couldn't really find a valid candidate to knock him out, even though, you know, I I kind of was. He's got Carlos Alcaraz in the first round, which is probably the pick of the the first round. Could be a really interesting match, that one. Um, You know, be another exciting young player. But yeah, I think Zverev should be able to, you know, as, as long as the second serve doesn't play up too much, I think he can make the final here and I've got him to lose to the top seed. Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, just to give that away straight away. Uh, just another couple of lesser shocks that I've gone for. I've got Sebastian Korda to beat Marin Cilic in the first round. Probably not so much of a shock anymore. And then one little dart. I've gone for Salvatore Caruso to beat John Isner as well.
0: Yeah, just to pick on on uh, one thing there, Um uh, uh, what were we do? Acapulco, sorry, uh, was played last year. Uh, because it's normally a tournament in February, and it's been uh moved back down the schedule just because of the uh the rescheduling of the tournament. So Rafael Nadal being the winner last year, being Taylor Fritz in the final. Um, and to be honest, Marcus, we've only got one difference again in our quarterfinals. Uh, my top one being Sitsafas against Auger Aljassim my um, second one is where i've got my difference i've got diego Schwartzman to face and this is definitely my surprise pick of a tournament i've got uh adrian manorino uh to face Schwartzman in the quarterfinal and i've got manorino to win that quarterfinal so my manorino to the semi-final and marcus putting his face in his palm uh, at the moment uh not a player that marcus is too fond of but um I'm 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 looking forward to seeing this. Uh, Manarino obviously having Dimitrov in the first round. I think he's sort of classic Dimitrov to to be losing to Manarino. Manarino, I think, and um, he's a very tough customer. Manarino, you know, it will make you work for everything, despite maybe not having the. Uh, the spectacular sort of edges to the game that uh, you, you can admire him for, but uh, being a very, very stubborn opponent. Stubborn is always the word that I use to describe Manorino. Uh, and then obviously, again, down the draw, uh, obviously I had Nori uh, to face Ryanich and Kasparu to face uh, Zverev. I actually very nearly went for Carlos Alcares uh, to beat Zverev in the first round. I thought that would be just you know, a very great win and and but then I, I feel I was maybe just going with my heart a little bit more, I know Zarev does tend to have sort of a little slip-ups but a player who really isn't experienced at all at this level um, I, I can't see it, I can justify it too much, uh, if I look down my draw uh, I have actually got there to make the final of this tournament, I just didn't really think there was anyone in his half of the draw that could beat him I, I'm sure there's a lot of players in there that can beat him but not so much. I didn't see anyone that I thought would beat him, uh, even if Zverev isn't quite on the top of his game. I've got him to make the final, and then I've got him to face uh, Stefan pass in the final. Um, coming off the back, obviously, of that that loss to Javier last week, but uh, after that, uh, sorry, before that, he's probably been one of the standout players of the year, beating Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open, um, some good, tour, uh, good performances on the tour. As well, so I've got Sitsapas to beat Alexander Zverev in the final, but my biggest uh, bit being Manarino to make the semi, which I'm sure Marcus would like to comment on.
1: Well, yeah, that that little section where I've got Ketchmanovich and you've got Manarino is probably what this tournament's going to come down to now. Um, you know, for Lithiano Lopez in the first round is a banana skin for the young Serbian, but you know, I've, I've got faith in him. I think. Maybe Grigor ends up laughing in our face in this <laughs> in this side of the draw, but um no, that does make it a little bit interesting. And yeah, despite a few uncharacteristic losses, obviously to Eber last week, since the past has looked good this year, um and on the on the hard course as well, which you know clay's clay's is his best surface for me, but um since the yeah, looking looking solid and. You know, he's two places above Zverev in the rankings now at world number five, and he definitely looks like a player for me who would would breach that big four before Alexander Verev. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's definitely the player to watch this week in Acapulco.
0: OK, so both Marcus and I agreeing on most of the picks this week with a couple of uh, big differences, the main one being that that manorino Manarino. One, so look out for the results tonight and tomorrow night. I'm um, not sure which night these matches are on uh, yet. But uh, yeah, they'll be the big ones in terms of this. So um, just to end the show, as always, I believe Marcus uh, has done me a guess the player.
1: Uh, alternating as per usual. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't been maybe as harsh as the Martin Klijan, Yuri Vesely uh, picks, but um, trying
0: to throw me off early. I see. Trying to throw it's me still off an early. Interesting
1: one. I think the first clue is that this player has won two tour titles.
0: Okay, certainly um, no. No joke of a player uh, to win two tour titles could be a lot of people. So we'll
1: go for Jan Leonard Um, he hasn't won a single tour t- ATP tour title. Has so he not? Not wow. Jan just, Yeah, That's a bit surprising. of an anomaly inside that top yeah fifty forty. Um, no, I'll not, Hold my hands not up there. Really. Should have, should have known that. Um, the second clue is that this player, um, is his best performance at a Grand Slam is making the third round at the 2016 Australian Open. So I don't think that gives too much away, but at least it shows you that he's not, not a player with much prowess on the Grand Slams.
0: I'm going to wonder if it's a player who quite likes their South American clay court tournaments. Um and has picked up a couple of clay titles, but struggles on the remainder of the tour. I know there are a lot of players that do have some pretty shambolic Grand Slam records considering what they can achieve on the tour with best of three sets and best of five sets being very different animals. Um, uh, I'll go... Let's try and think of a player who I can't really ever remember doing well in... For uh, Leonardo Mayer.
1: Interesting. Uh, I think you did that one a month yeah, or so I, ago. Yeah, I think I did um, actually. But yeah, no, it's not Leonardo Mayer. Um, this third clue. Uh, I'm not sure how much this really gives away, but it's an interesting fact. Uh, his career high is 33.
0: Okay, no, not really. Um. Okay, I'm, I'm still gonna stick with the sort of idea it could be someone winning on clay court tournaments. and uh, not going much further in a Grand Slam. Um, names popped into my head that I feel might fit these facts. Uh, I, I've never got one or two titles, definitely. I can't really ever remember them having a run at a Grand Slam. The career high might make sense. Vasek Pospisil.
1: It's good shout. It's not Vasek Pospisil. I think it's maybe been a touch higher, but it's definitely mm-hmm. around there. Uh, no, it's not Vasek Pospisil. Um, here's my f- fourth clue, and I think this probably confirms quite a few of your I- initial uh, expectations of where this was going. This player hasn't won a hardcore ATP main draw match since the 2020 Australian Open. Wow.
0: That's a damning statistic. Maybe that would mean that they just have not played many hardcore tournaments. You know, you do you get a lot of players who just play the clay court tournaments. Um Like a how my moon I popped in my head but he's too young uh i don't think he's got two tall titles i don't think he'd be too young to be making the third round at the australian open five years ago um think of um but ramos has one more titles than that um, Uh, let's go Thiago Montero no he hasn't been as high as 33 but I've said it now
1: no interesting one but no it's not Thiago Montero Hame Munar broke back into the top 100 this week which was good to see always still in his early 20s can be a good player on his day took six to pass to five sets at the French Open just last year as well so that was good to see Um, right this is the final clue yeah um, it's not an absolute obvious... We'll go to your head straight away, but I, I think you should work it out. This guy is the Argentinian number three.
0: Right. Well, number one is uh, Schwarzman. Um, okay. I don't really know the ordering. Um Names that are going to be up there are Correa. Um, Bonis is going to be a little bit lower, I think, but I'll write that down. Um, There's so many Argentinian players. Um, I think I'm probably missing one that's a bit high ranked. Uh, Oh well, I mean, you you got. I know, obviously, it's not him, but I don't know where if if Del Potro is even ranked at the moment. No, no, nah. I don't know if he's inactive or no, nah, he hasn't played in the last two years. I don't
1: think. Um, go for a use a process of elimination with the key, with the clues you've already got. I'd say to narrow down those Argentinian players because there is tons of them.
0: Well, well yeah, obviously, it's it's not Schwartzman. Um, I mean, it could be Delbonis. Um He has got two titles, Delbonis, uh, because I'm fairly certain that was a stat that I mentioned when he was playing his semi-final against bagnus which uh, is another name I wrote down, but it can't be him because he hasn't got a title, so we'll cross him off. Coria. I'm trying to think if he won a title. Um... No, that was Londero who won that title, and that was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm gonna go I'm I'm gonna go for Federico Del Bonis.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Well worked out.
0: Um, I'm surprised that um I'm surprised that there's uh, Is is the Argentine number two?
1: No, he's four, and five is Londero. Uh, okay. two is Guido Paya.
0: Oh, of course, Gino um, Perer. Yeah, I yeah I've forgotten him. And to be honest, oh no, I know he's got a better Grand Slam because uh, he made the Wimbledon quarters, I think. Okay, no, fair enough. Um, yeah. I'm gonna assume that David is a player that you don't want to spend any time really talking about.
1: And, you know, he showed some good form last week, but uh, yeah, definitely not. Hopes for the future are low. It's fair to a say. A bit of a
0: pinnacle clay court player. He's been around a long time on the clay court. It always surprises me when I see that he's only 30 because yeah. uh, it feels like he must, have, he must have made a decent breakthrough as a young guy uh, on the clay courts because I've, I've known the name Delbonis for surely at least eight or nine years now. So, um, yeah, and he's always seemed like he's old to me. Obviously not.
1: Yeah, I think it's be, yeah, we'll be a player we'll see win... More matches than we expect or probably hope to see. Uh, crushing the dreams of the likes of Holger Rune as he did last week in the quarterfinal. Um, but no, yeah, Fel- Federico Delbonis, an unashamed clay court specialist, is this week's guest and player.
0: Okay, well, that's about it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, obviously, the, the main story coming out of the last week is being that we have a new uh, world number two. Uh, the first since 2005 that wasn't named Djokovic, Murray, Nadal or Federer. Um, how long we we'll have to wait for another one remains to be seen. Uh, Dominic team will be hoping that uh, we can have another one very, very soon. But uh, other than that, just enjoy the uh, tournaments this week in Dubai and Acapulco, if that's if. Uh, you want to watch Acapulco with it being on at a ridiculous time for the UK fans. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, I've been Michael Gillett. Uh, Marcus, thank you for joining me.